Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This week, Heath Bauer brings a Thanksgiving message entitled, From Grief to Gratitude. Stick around to the end and find out how you can connect to Unity Baptist Church. I'd like you to go ahead this morning and open your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. You heard me. Go to the section of your Bible where the gilding is still intact. Everybody knows where Psalms is. Go to Psalms, take a right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations. As you might guess from this title, Lamentations is a difficult book. It comes from the word lament. A lament is a song of mourning. It's a song of national mourning. You're meant to think of things like the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, uh, where the people's, where people come together and they mourn the loss of their temple. This is what is being expressed here. They're mourning on a national level the loss, not just of their temple, but of everything. It's a fulfillment of a promise that God made to Israel when they entered the promised land. God warned them, you need to follow me. Don't get so consumed with all the blessings I give you in this land that you forget your creator God. And he warned them, he says in Joshua 23, verses 15 and 16, the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God. They did transgress the covenant. They did get consumed with all the milk and the honey. They did get consumed with the houses they didn't build and the fields they didn't plant. And they did forget the Lord their God. But still God was patient. God sends Jeremiah. And Jeremiah preaches for 40 years. He spent his entire life preaching to a group of people that were never going to repent. They were so consumed with their daily life. They were so consumed with their career, making money, and enjoying the things that their money brought them that they forgot God. And so Jeremiah is preaching for 40 years. Repent! How'd they respond to that preaching of repentance? They threw him in the bottom of a well. Now that's when you know the people didn't respond well to your message. (laughs) So they're not ready to repent yet. And so God basically is like, I've sent you everything that I can. At this point, all I can do is I've got to get a bigger stick. And God gets a bigger stick here in the book of Lamentations. And so in Lamentations, it's a period of time where Nebuchadnezzar is now knocking on their door, if you will. He has encamped himself around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, He's laying siege to it. And the city is burning and people are being killed and people are being drug off. This is a very sad time. And it's during this context that Jeremiah writes lamentations. He's lamenting the loss of all things. The entire nation is grieving. Is it possible today that even within this congregation that even though it's Thanksgiving time, we're not really ready for turkey and football and giving of thanks yet because we ourselves are still grieving? How do you approach a holiday like Thanksgiving where it's, it's all focused on God and what he has given us, and yet in our hearts, we're just not there yet? 
because we're still grieving the loss of a lot of things. We may not have lost a temple, but you may have lost something else. You may have lost a loved one. You may have lost a job. In this COVID season, there's just so many things that we've lost, and we could all give testimony to that, and I assume many of us will tonight give testimony to the suffering that we've experienced, and yet the grace that God has shown us. So today we're going to look at Jeremiah as he's writing Lamentations. He's going to begin as a grieving prophet, but then we're going to look at the grateful prophet, and we're going to see how do we go from grieving to grateful? How do we go from grief to gratitude? First thing we're going to learn under the grieving prophet is that, A, pain is unavoidable. We can't avoid pain. I don't know if you've found that out yet in life, but we can't avoid pain. That's, by the way, a Buddhist concept. Avoiding pain is a Buddhist concept. The whole concept of Buddhism is this, that we want to avoid suffering. That is the underlying current of all Buddhism that we discovered in China. And to avoid that suffering, they figured out that suffering, at least in their opinion, suffering comes from desire. And so we gotta get rid of all desires so we can get rid of all of suffering. And at the end of my life, poof, I just will cease to exist. Won't that be a glorious day? Can you imagine singing a hymn about that? You know, and praise, praise, praise God, I'm not gonna exist one day. You know, we don't, we don't sing songs like that. There's no, there's no hope in Buddhism. Our hope is in Jesus. And so we're gonna discover how in Jesus, even though pain is unavoidable, we, we don't have to live in that pain. That doesn't have to be the end of all things for us. So pain is unavoidable. Let's look, even Jeremiah, the great prophet, he's gonna suffer. In verse one, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's suffering right now. It's gotta be frustrating being Jeremiah. He's suffering for the sins of the nation. Jeremiah has had enjoyed a right standing with God, but he feels like that kid who is the teacher's pet, he tries really hard in class, but the rest of the, the class is cutting up and you all have to skip recess. Jeremiah is stuck there right now. And so he's having to suffer because the nation around us is suffering. You may feel like that sometimes. I'm serving God. I'm loving God. I'm, I'm praying for revival from God, but the nation around me is literally going to hell, and, and we're seeing God's judging hand even these days upon our nation for a nation who has become fascinated with our own milk and honey, and we've forgotten the Lord our God. Verse 2, he says, He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. And surely against me, he turns his hand. This word, turn his hand, means to smite. It means to strike, okay? Uh, God, if you will, is spanking the nation. He says, God turns his hand against me again and again the whole day long. He's not just suffering a little bit. He's in what we of a church have studied. He's in a time of tribulation, not a single suffering, not just a piece of bad news. It's when bad news hits you, as the hymn says, like sorrows like sea billows roll, like waves just crashing against you over and over again. When you're under tribulation that long, can that affect your physical health? It sure can. We see in Jeremiah, uh, in uh, Lamentations chapter three, verse four, he says, he has made my flesh and skin waste away. Okay, not, this isn't even just the starvation that comes from being under a siege. He in his heart is so grieved that it's affecting his physical health. He says, he has broken my bones. That even his, his stress that he's under makes his bones weak. As Proverbs 17, says, a broken spirit does what? 
it dries up the bones. It, there's, there's a weakness that comes to our body when we're continually under stress. See, our body releases uh, this hormone called cortisol. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to explain all that. But essentially, when we're under stress, maybe we're frightened by something. You know, you open your door, you, you know, there's a spider jumps out in your face. You, oh, you know, cortisol kicks into your body. High gear, fight or flight. Or sometimes cortisol is kicking into our system when we're just having to operate at a high level for a long time. You're like a car's engine, you know, that you're tacking it up too high, you're redlining your life, and your body starts pumping cortisol through your body, also called the death hormone, okay? And it begins to have a physical, take a physical toll on your life because your life isn't meant to be redlining all the time. We're not meant to be so busy all the time that we're just under continual stress and we're destroying the body God gave us because we've just allowed ourselves to become too busy. Jeremiah here is too, if you will, he's, he's not so much busy as it is, he's, he's stressed out. He's had all he can take. In verse five it says, he has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's enduring a literal siege. You remember when enemies come upon a city and they would surround, they would encamp the city. Nobody comes in for reinforcements or supplies. All the farms are on the outside of the walls. Nobody's eating very well. Nobody gets out, you can't escape. So he's enduring a literal siege. Lamentations 1 says the people groan as they search for bread. I mean, they're turning over everything, trying to find any fragment of food that they can take for themselves. Verse 6 says, he has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Under siege, you don't light fires. Why not? Because you're, gonna get the, you're going to be the guy that gets shot. You don't light a fire in the siege. So you don't light up fires in the city square. There's nobody dancing in the city square. You're not singing happy birthday to anybody. You just hole up and get alone inside your house and you just try to wait it out and you wait in fear and silence and in darkness. This is a lot how, uh, how depression feels you've ever been there you, sometimes you just sit in darkness and you're just you pull up and you hole up into yourself and you get away from people and you're just you're you're depressed he says i feel like the dead of long ago he doesn't even enjoy anything that he used to enjoy anymore and if you've ever been in depression you can feel that can't you the things that you once enjoyed you just ah, i got no energy even for the things that were once fun he says, my chains are heavy. There were literal chains that the Babylonians would place on the people as they lured, or not lured them, but drug them out of their land into Babylon to convert them. But there's chains on his heart. He just, he just feels weighed down. I mean, he's Marley's ghost. He's just dragging around these heavy chains. He's discouraged. He doesn't have energy in his body. It says in verse eight, even though he tries calling out to God, he just feels like God doesn't hear. In verse eight, he says, though I call out and cry for help, what does God do? He shuts out my prayers. That's how his prayer feels. He's calling out to God for help. God, help us, deliver us, save us from this situation. And there's nothing. He just feels like his, his prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. There's, there's nothing happening. He feels abandoned, if you will, by God. He shuts out my prayer. God won't listen. God won't answer. He has blocked my way with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. In other words, he, he feels God has made his life hard. He's made it difficult. He's blocked up my way. He sees all the blockades that the Babylonians are putting under, under siege around the city. He feels like that in his heart, that God has done that and made his life difficult. He, 
He is a bear, lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He has turned aside my steps and tore me into pieces. See, the enemy is camped just outside the city, and Jeremiah feels like this, this is God. And he's going beyond the fact that God is in control of our suffering, which he is. Okay? In the day of prosperity of joy, in the day of adversity, stop and consider God has created the one as well as the other. We know that God is in control of our suffering, but in this particular point of suffering, we see him start to pivot, and he's getting more and more discouraged because he's focusing on the suffering. And he starts to see God in a different light. Now he sees God as a wild animal that doesn't just want to consume him, that there's no purpose in his death and dying and killing. God just wants to do what? Tear me into pieces. He's starting to get a false view of, of, of what God is like. And that's what pain can do to us when we're under pain and tribulation for a long time. We can start seeing God differently. In the next verse, he says, He, God, has made me desolate. He's left me nothing. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. Okay, he's like a bow hunter, you know, in, in deer. You know, he's hunting deer, and a bow hunter is sitting there in deer's bow season. He's, he's looking for a vital organ to kill him. He feels like that's God. He says, furthermore, he drove into my kidneys. That's a killing shot. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. You say, Pastor, out of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, you chose this one for Thanksgiving? Wow. Why don't we just finish the morning out by slapping one another and pouring marbles on the sidewalk? You know, let's just, let's just make it a painful morning all around for everybody. If you're a visitor here at Unity Baptist Church, we'd like to welcome you, and thank you for coming. <laughs> We're a joyful bunch of people. I hope you get to know us, and there are no marbles on the sidewalks. I mean, I'll stop here. You understand, Jeremiah is under tremendous burden of sorrow and suffering, He's living with problems in times of mourning that are coming to him daily, multiple times a day, he says again and again. He feels like Job, who in Job 14, 1 says basically man's life is short and full of trouble, and we can feel that way. My life is short, all right, but every day that I have is filled with difficulty. So life might be a highway for Rascal Flats, and he wants to ride it all night long, but my life feels more like an Ashland country road. And you know what I'm talking about. You can't relax. I mean, it's corner, and then another corner, and then another corner. It's an up a hill, it's down a hill, and then it's another corner with cars passing you and a telephone pole right on the side of the road. Who does that? <laughs> I grew up in Iowa where it's flat, and the roads are like straight, and so this is an adjustment for me. But this is what my life sometimes feels like. Even as a Christian, God doesn't shield us from suffering. It's unavoidable. What is avoidable is growing discouraged because of that suffering. But that's what it will lead to because if we're under a period of just trial after trial after trial, pain can preach a very discouraging message, can't it? It can tell us that everything we learned about God in Sunday school is a lie. I thought God was loving. I think maybe he's not. I thought God provided for my needs. I guess he doesn't. I, guess, I thought God was all-powerful, but... He's not coming through for me. I've heard that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, but I've been praying. I have not seen a thing. And so if all we're doing is looking at our suffering, it can preach a very discouraging, bleak outlook for life. And it can actually change how we see God. I mean, 27 times in 19 verses, Jeremiah talks about the pain that God has caused him. He has driven me into darkness. He has made my flesh waste away. He has besieged me. 
He's gone from simply acknowledging God's sovereignty in our suffering, and he's gone to a place where he's starting to see God as that wild animal who wants to tear him apart for no reason. Can even a mature Christian start to have a distorted view of God because they're enduring a lot of pain over and over again? You better believe it. Let's look here. You're going to feel a little bit comforted here because if you felt like that, you're going to see Jeremiah, the great prophet, actually have sort of a distorted view of God for just a moment. Verse 17, he says, My soul is bereft of peace. I don't even know what peace is like anymore. I have forgotten what happiness is. He's been so long since he's had any joy, he doesn't even remember what happiness is like. So I say, my endurance has perished. The last little bit of energy that he had is like a bowl that God is shaking out. He's having emotional dry heaves. He has all this pain, but there's nothing left to give. And where does that leave him? Look at these birds. My endurance has perished, but so has what? I hope in the Lord. Jeremiah's hope in the Lord has perished. And this word perished is a strong word. It's the word used in Numbers and Deuteronomy to describe the Israelites destroying false idols of the pagans. That's how he's describing his hope in the Lord. It's been destroyed like an angry Jew with a false god, and there's no confidence there. That's how he feels because of pain. And friends, sometimes even a mature Christian can feel that way. The blessing is we don't have to stay there. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to have a, continue to have a distorted view of God. But that's what Pastor Payne teaches us during times of tribulation. God isn't that powerful. He's not that strong. He's not actually near. He doesn't really care about you or your problems. Why? How could God care if you have all these problems? And if all we do is focus on our problems, you're going to be very bitter and miserable just like Jeremiah is in this one verse. Your hope may have perished from the Lord, been shattered. Once you've finally gotten to that place, is there any hope that I can resume a life of happiness and joy in the Lord, that the God can even give me just this little glimmer of, of hope and security once again? I mean, do you really think I'm going to say no at this point? Of course there is. There is hope and there is joy, and we're going to see it as Jeremiah pivots to become a grateful prophet. So in verse 19 and 20, we see his perspective change. What happens? Jeremiah calls out to God. You say, yeah, we've been there, we've done that. Prayer doesn't work. Friends, prayer is not Aladdin with a lamp, is it? It's not just that I just pray and God immediately gives me what I want. That would be cause and effect. There's no faith in that. Faithful praying is when we pray even though God hasn't answered and I still pray. God hasn't answered and I persist in praying. We're like that, that widow with the unjust judge and we're banging on the door. Boom, boom, boom. Give me what I need. Boom, boom, boom. Give me what I need. And she just continues and God says because of her persistence, her prayer is answered. And God says in that same way, uh, we need to pray like that. But more than that, we see that it's a little bit different kind of prayer, isn't it? Before is God, send me help, deliver me from this problem, deliver me from this trial, deliver me from this difficulty. But that's not what he's praying now, is it? Now he's praying what? Remember. He just wants to, God to know what he's going through. And so he is, uh, and this is the first step, by the way, in overcoming this, this discouraged state of mind as a believer. Tell Jesus about it. 
Remember, he says, my affliction, my wanderings, my wormwood, and the gall. He, he prays for God to understand. He just wants to know that somebody knows. He says, remember my affliction. This is the same Hebrew word used of the abuse that the Jews endured at the hands of the Egyptians. That's how he feels. He feels beat up and abused. He uses the term wanderings. It means that Jeremiah literally has no home. It's being destroyed. He's watching people destroy everything that he built. He said, he describes himself as wormwood. Now, that's odd. Wormwood was a bitter herb that only grew in the most desolate, desert, dry places. And so Jeremiah is describing himself as bitter, alone, isolated, separated, surrounded by nothing but harshness and difficulty and bitterness. And then he uses the term gall. Gall is any Hebrew word for a, a dangerous substance. Often it's used and translated in the Bible as poison, like venom from a, from a serpent. And so Jeremiah sees his circumstances as poisonous, as toxic. And when a believe, even a believer is in a toxic situation long enough, can that believer sometimes become a toxic person? I've seen it. And sometimes we can become bitter and become angry. And you've heard the phrase, hurting people hurt people. So sometimes we come across people, even in the church, who are bitter, they're complaining, they're angry, they're hard to be around. And, our, and let me just tell you, it's, it, I'm not justifying that behavior. But friends, let's see if we can see past their pain just for a moment. Behind every gripey, complaining, bitter person that we find in and out of the church, there's usually a host of irritants that are just hitting them over and over. And they're in a lot of pain. They're in a lot of difficulty. They're in a lot of suffering. And so all I'm asking for you to do is treat them like a dog. Let me qualify that. Evidently, Facebook thinks I need to see dogs uh, being rescued. I don't know what it is, but like every third post on my newsfeed is like somebody rescuing a dog. I don't know what brought that on me, but you know, it's somebody going and you see this little dog and he's, he's cowering in a corner and he's, he's all angry and, and people try to help him and he's snarling and he's biting at him and he's snapping at him and you look at this dog, he's obviously been abandoned, he's starving, he's cornered, he's got like some gimpy little leg or something, you know, and that person comes up and they try to be nice to him and he snaps at their hand. And then what do they do in those videos? They kick the dog, fine, treat me like that. You know, what do they do? They sit there and they see, oh, there's obvious reasons why he's acting this way. And so they, they continue in, in patience. Here, let me, let me give you some food. Let me give you some water. Let me gently try to pet you, you know. And they're very slow hours they spend with this dog. Just to rescue this dog, they take it home, and then they show this happily ever after picture of the dog, you know, jumping around and bounding into their arms and things. And so all I, I say that simply to say this, friends. We, we're going to encounter a lot of hurting people in church, and they're going to be hurtful people. But treat them like we do a Facebook dog, can we? Sometimes we have more compassion for a hurting animal than a hurting saint. That we don't have that same patience, that we try to greet them, and they're, they're kind of gruff with us a little bit, and we just want to you know, kick them, fine, treat me like that, be alone, sit in the pew by yourself. For those who are hurting, friends, there's probably something behind that hurt and that's pain, in that pain, and so let's try to get past that pain to find that person's heart and their hurts, and let's meet their physical needs, and let's provide continual patient love for them, and we might see them like that little puppy, you know, healthy, his hair is combed, and they're, they're bounding around, and, and it brings love and joy. You know, that's how God loves us. 
But we need to tell God about our pain. That's what he's doing. Remember my, my affliction, my wormwood, and my gall. Like the old hymn says, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear my burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever cares and loves his own. The alternative to telling God about our problems is just keeping it to ourselves. How's that working for you? You're one of those bitter people we just described. You're that hurt and wounded animal. You're that private person who doesn't want to tell anybody about anything wrong in your life. Don't you just want to carry that burden yourself? You just want to bear it up yourself. We don't want to, we don't want to tell anyone. And I'll tell you right now, if you're the kind of person who bottles up all of their difficulty and you just carry that heavy weight everywhere, let me just reveal something. You're probably hurting the people around you because we're not meant to carry that kind of weight. You're gonna be that hurt animal. And I'll, I'll reveal something else. You probably are struggling to have close friends. And that makes it even more difficult and the pain even more, you know, hard to endure and to bear. But I just pray that, number one, you'll, you'll get out of that and you'll be willing to tell God your problems and, and unload that burden from yourself and also be willing to let other people step in. Friends, there's folk out there who, who just want to love you, who want to, if you will, offer you that food. They want to comb your hair, not literally, but they want it, they want to, like that dog, they want to support you and strengthen you and just let them. Uh, it's not enough just to tell God about our problems. We have to be willing to leave our problems with him. We've got to fully divest ourselves of that, of that burden and, and leave it with him. That's the message of 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, cast your care on the Lord because he cares for you. And so we're just fully just dropping that load, not just dropping it and we quit, but we're placing that load where it belongs, on God's shoulders. You know, the best illustration I can think of this is uh, when I graduated Bible college, my wife and I, we worked at a summer camp in Alaska, a higher ground Baptist camp in we did these wilderness canoe camps. If you've ever done that, uh, we, ch we just canoe this chain of lakes in the middle of the night. We, we camp out on an island and loons are calling out. I mean, it was, it was just beautiful and majestic. But there were some tough times too. Some of those chains of lakes, the little channels that connected them had dried up. And so we have to do a fun little thing called uh, a portage. You ever done that? And you take that heavy canoe, and I'm not talking a nice lightweight Kevlar canoe. I mean, cheapy, heavy camp canoes, and two people, and they lift it over their shoulders. You're already carrying a heavy camping backpack with seven days of supplies. And then you lift this heavy canoe, and you're not walking on this, this beautiful yellow brick road, you know. Uh, you're, you're plowing through these underbrush and the trees, and you're, just, you're carrying this thing through, sometimes for a mile across land. Well, it was a co-ed camp. The teen boys and teen girls were all camping together with men and women, and the, the, the boys would run to the end with their canoes so they could show off their masculinity. I was happy to, you know, concede them their masculinity. You go ahead and run. And they would get to the end, and then the, them and the men, we would go back to the ladies, and we'd help them with the canoes because they still had to carry their canoes. And some of the ladies, they're on the side of the road. They're just, <laughs> the canoe's on the ground. They're just, they're beat up and destroyed. And, or other times, we'd get under that canoe, and they would be more than happy just to walk out from under it. That's the idea being communicated here in 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast your cares on the Lord. Somebody's coming along who's bigger and stronger than you and has a desire to show love to you and to carry that burden for you. And so you just let him carry that canoe for you. You just, you, you drop it with him. What does that look like in real life? It means we obey God and we trust him with the outcome. Sometimes when we're suffering, we can believe lies that doing things God's way doesn't work and we just, we stop obeying God. Friends, just obey God and trust him with the outcome. Leave your pain with him. 
you can tell sometimes when we have cast our cares on the Lord is because we start picking up the things that we stopped doing that were our burden to carry. You know, going to work. Sometimes when we're carrying a heavy burden or we're depressed, we stop working. We stop taking care of our house. We stop spending time with our mate. We, our children are just an annoyance and a frustration. We stop spending time with them. We stop time in the word. Friends, if those things are happening in your life, can I tell you right now, there's probably a burden you're carrying that you need to cast on the Lord. And once you've done that and you start doing things God's way, friends, let me tell you, you'll, you'll have now the energy and the joy to pick up these, these weights, your portion that you're intended to carry. See, we need to connect, reconnect with relationships. Jeremiah says he feels like wormwood. He's alone, he's isolated, he's off, he's in a corner, he's in darkness, he's in isolation. And in pain and depression, that's often where we go. If you, if you ever read 1 Kings 19, you'll discover even Elijah, after his, his mighty confrontation at Mount Carmel, what does he do? Jezebel says, I'm gonna kill you for this. And the Bible says he ran and fled from her. Specifically, in 1 Kings 19, verse three, it says, then he was afraid, the mighty Elijah was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. Stop there. He came to Beersheba. He was up at Mount Carmel, the, one of the far upper northwest, or northwest parts of the country out by the coast. Beersheba is like south central. This man ran over 100 miles. He's gone as far south as he could before you hit the mountains that separate Israel from the rest of the, you know, the, rest of the nations. And it says he didn't do, stop there. He, him, he left his servant there. Now he's all by himself. And he went another day's journey, likely 20 to 25 miles further in, straight into the wilderness. I mean, there's nothing happening there. There's nobody. And he came, sat down under a broom tree, a juniper tree, and he asked that he might die. The mighty Elijah got there, where he didn't want to be around people anymore. He was so sad and carrying such a heavy burden. He was so wearied. He was so weak. He just wanted to be away from people, and he even wanted to die. Can a believer get to that place where they just don't want to even be alive anymore? you might find yourself in that position. Friends, if God didn't want you alive right now, you wouldn't be alive. So if you're alive today, it's because God has a purpose for your life. And we need to find that again. So, it, but in 1 Kings 19, God, we see he gives him a time of nutrition. He gives him good food, a time of rest, you know, actual physical sleep. And then he gives Elijah a time of, if you will, a quiet time with, with God, listening to his still small voice. But then God says, you need to get back amongst people. You can't be a Christian hermit. You've got to learn to trust God, lay your burdens on him, and be around people because it's, it's within the God's people, friends, that there, there is that safety of the herd. We, you know, we're, a, we're a flock of sheep, if you will, under one shepherd, and we've got to stay close to our shepherd. If we don't, 1 Peter 5, 8. Remember, 1 Peter 5, 7 was the one that said, cast your cares on the Lord. If you don't do that, you're gonna isolate yourself. Beware, though, the very next verse says, there is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you've watched all the documentaries like I have. The wildebeest that separates from the herd, he's the one that gets eaten. And Satan wants to use fear and intimidation tactics and depression to isolate us from the flock of God so he can easily pick us off and destroy us and give us a false view of who God is. And so we've got to get back in amongst God's people. And I don't just mean the periphery coming on Sunday mornings. Friend, I'm, I'm calling all of us to go deep into God's family. If you're not, if you, sometimes you can be a part of just this morning gathering and still feel alone and isolated. If you do, it's probably because you haven't gone deep into the herd. You're on the periphery. 
the next loud roar is gonna send you running. You need to go deep, join a Sunday school. You wanna join a Sunday school? Talk to our welcome desk, they'll get you connected. Talk to our minister of education, Brad, who just gave our announcements this morning. He'll get you connected to a Sunday school. Even furthermore, I'm gonna ask you to consider this. Join a D group. A D group is our discipleship groups. Ask any one of the people who are involved in D groups and they'll tell, every one of them has told me they've learned so much from it, but more than that, they love the relationships that they've built with one another, these trust relationships, these accountability relationships. You're never alone. Friends, go deep into the family of God. There is tremendous protection that God affords us when we're all under one shepherd and deep in the family. Let's get back to Lamentations, verse, chapter three, verse 21. The last thing here is, or not last thing, but in D is, is get into the word. Lamentations 3, 21 to 23 we're gonna see Jeremiah's perspective pivot even more. He says, but I call this to mind. I, I willingly choose to remember what? The truth of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He's calling to his mind what is true about God because Pastor Payne has been preaching a very difficult message that God doesn't care, that he's not near, that he can't answer, he won't answer. So he calls to mind what is true about God. And friends, what's true about God is revealed through the scriptures. If you're discouraged today, friends, it may be that your discouragement is in direct proportion to the lack of the word of God that you're taking into your life. Because the word of God gives us hope. How do we know? Romans 15 verse four, it tells us, for whatever was written in former days, that's our Bible, it was written for our instruction. Even the Old Testament even the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus, okay? Even the Old Testament, Jesus explained, it was all about him. It was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you see that, friends? Where does endurance, the ability to bear up under sorrow, come from? It comes from God's word. Where does comfort, the word paraclesis, the same word used of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside of us to bear us up, where does that come from? Comfort, it comes from the word of God. Where, where does hope, the, word, the Greek word elpis, which just, it's not optimism, it's a confident expectation. Where does hope come from? It comes from the word of God. Patience, endurance, comfort, hope, according to Romans 15, 4, it all comes right from here. If we're lacking any of these elements in our life, friends, it may be simply that we're listening too much to our pain and not enough to the word of God. We've got to get back in there, friends, if there's any hope of recovering that endurance, comfort, and hope. You see, Satan, he wants to isolate us from this truth. He wants to convince you that this book has nothing to tell you. He wants you just to listen to pain. Satan is communist China. You heard it here first, okay? Satan is communist China. I, what I mean by that is this. When we lived in China for 11 years, we discovered that the government wants to control everything. They want to control the message you hear. So the government controls every major, every news outlet. The government controls every newspaper. The government controls every major website. The government controls every form of social media. So when you go to China, you can't put, they block YouTube, they block Facebook, they block Google, they block just about every, they block every blog, they block every uh, video upload website, everything, because China only wants you to hear the narrative that they want to preach to you. Is that the truth doesn't matter, it's what we want you to hear. Can a government do that? China does that. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants to isolate us from the truth so that we only hear the narrative of pain that says God isn't near, he doesn't care, he doesn't love, he doesn't answer prayer. The word of God, John 8, 32, will set us free from that. 
it'll show us that God is still loving. And we can do then, like Jeremiah, we can choose thankfulness. Is thankfulness a choice? Or is thankfulness a state of being? Thankfulness is a choice. And so we're going to see in verse 22 and 23, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, how did you go from God wants to tear me into pieces to great is thy faithfulness? Friends, it's the word of God realigning his heart to understand the nature and character of God. Now, he calls to mind, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord. This is a very interesting uh, Hebrew word called hesed. There's no English trans, uh, or translation for this, really. And it would be a great study, by the way. Get yourself in accordance and you study the word hesed and see uh, about God's steadfast love. Some of your translations may call it loyal love, loving kindness, mercy, faithful love, great love. Which is it? It, friends, it's, it's D all the above. You see, hesed is a word that is a promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by a deep and personal love. It, it's so much more. It's a whole concept of ideas that describes God's love for us. And if we truly understand God's hesed, we will not doubt his love even in times of trial. One of the illustrations the Bible itself gives us of hesed is in the person of Ruth. You remember Ruth? She was a Moabitess, uh, historically an enemy of God. But she marries into this Jewish family, uh, Malon, Kilion, and they, and under Naomi, this, this Jewish mother-in-law. But then what happens? All the guys die. Now, it, today, we're just like, well, it stinks, but you gotta go get a job. Back. And so it was hopeless. They're gonna be beggars now. And Naomi even encourages her daughters, you know, uh, Ruth and Orpah, from which Oprah Winfrey got her name, uh, Ruth and o Orpah, she did. And she, she says, leave girls, leave me basically to die because there's nothing left for me. I mean, in my old age, am I gonna produce any more boys for you to marry? No, if you stay with me, you're gonna die like me, so just go ahead and leave. And so Orpah did, but Ruth stayed with her. And what did Ruth tell her? Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And God called that hesed. There was nothing that Naomi had to offer her. It was completely based not on Naomi's ability to provide, but on Ruth's, the, the nature and character of Ruth's love for her. God hesed's us. It's not based upon your performance. God still loves you even when you're sinful. God still loves you even if you don't come to church. God loves you even if you didn't read this Bible. Friends, it's to your own suffering that you don't read the Bible. God still loves you even if you haven't prayed. Now, I believe as a believer, you're gonna long for these things. But God's love is not a performance-based love. We're under grace. God still loves you even though right now you may be going through a tremendous time of suffering and pain and sorrow and you're, you're doubting the goodness of God. But God's love still endures. His, his, his steadfast, hesed love for you still exists. Even though you've just been told you have cancer, God's love, his mercy endures. His steadfast love never changes. More Every morning, his mercies are new. Which simply means that God's love is sufficient for the problems you face every day. He loves you just as much today, even as 
when things were going well. When things are going well, you'll hear Christians just, they're just bounding, they're happy. Oh, God is good. What do you mean? I got the car, I got the job, you know, God is good. You know, uh, my son or daughter or whatever just told me we're gonna have a grandkid, God is good. It's not often that we hear God is good. What happened, brother? I lost my job. It's not a natural way that we respond to trial, but it's theologically true. God is just, just as good and he loves you just as much during times of difficulty as he does when things are good. And so he chooses thankfulness. He says his hesed, his, his steadfast love is new every morning. And, it, and when we come to that realization that God loves us in this way, friends, it's, it's freeing. And it can call us to cry out with Jeremiah, great is your faithfulness. While watching Jerusalem burn, he's choosing thankfulness. See, thankfulness is a posture of the heart, isn't it? It has nothing to do with our circumstance. There's never a point in time in our life where things will only all be good or only all be bad, is it? Whenever there's, I mean, you take your kids to Disney, it still rains, doesn't it? You get a kid the ice cream cone, you know, and he's still complaining and cries. I used to work at Disney, you know, when I was a bivocational pastor. I've seen it. So you can be in a place that's supposed to be the happiest place on earth, and there's still sadness there. And you can be in places where you just feel like there is no hope. You're like Jeremiah. It's all darkness. God has holed me up. He's blockaded my path. And yet, our perspective about who God is can change. And we can realize that if the only thing going good for me today is that I have Jesus, friends, that's all the more reason in the world that I need to be, to be thankful. And I have, if you will, far more than anybody else. That's all we need. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice, how often? Always. Pray when? Without ceasing. Give thanks when? In all circumstances. When things are good, when they're not so good. When God is, is, is answering by fire on Mount Carmel, and when he's sacking the city of Jerusalem, we can still say God is good. For he says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God won't ask you to do something that is impossible, okay? He's, asking, he's telling us that it is God's will for you that in all circumstances we give thanks. So what does that mean for us? It means this evening when we have a testimonial service, there's nobody here who couldn't give a testimony. No matter how bleak or dark your circumstance, each one of us has a testimony of gratitude and thanks. There was a fellow named Thomas Chisholm, born in 1866 in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky. Anybody know where that is? Uh, south of Bowling Green, a small community. 1866, he grew up in a small little one-room room farmhouse, uh, house, went to a one-room school, and at age 16, he became the teacher. So think little house on the prairie, but Kentucky log cabin style. That's this fellow. He grew up knowing what pain and suffering and loss looks like. Age 27, he was converted under the ministry of Dr. Henry Clay Morrison, the founder of Asbury College, and went on to write more than 1,200 sacred poems, many of which became hymns that we enjoy today. One of them, you may recognize the text. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. You don't change. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. And so, friends, let us this morning, like Jeremiah, just no matter what your circumstance, let's choose. Let's choose thankfulness together. Father, we just give thanks this morning as we contemplate the truths of your word. 
as we contemplate the difficulty and the suffering of our own life, God, that you would give us the strength to bear up and endure under God, not alone with the church, not alone with your word, but God, that we would find the strength like Jeremiah, that we would come to a place where we pivot in our heart from grieving our genuine losses to a place where we're thoroughly uh, just consumed with you, our love for you, and are aware of your hesed, unchanging love for us. Lord, help us to come to a place in our heart and life where we can say, despite all that I've lost, great is thy faithfulness, God my Father. Despite my pain and suffering today, you have not changed. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that this has been an encouragement to you. If you're interested in our gathering times or just want more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. Join us next week as we open God's Word together.